Paul gives us insights into what is most important for the believer. In fact, he shares with us his prayer for all believers. I pray that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. This is what the pastors pray for the members of Cross Church. And this is what you should pray for yourself and your friends and family. Well, amen to that. It was on Paul's second missionary journey that he first visited Philippi. And while Paul was in Antioch, let me just show you a little map here. While Paul was here in Antioch, uh, false teachers were coming out and preaching that Gentiles, Gentile converts, must be circumcised. And these false teachers, Paul was calling Judaizers. That means that they were trying to turn the Christians into Jews. But the Apostle Paul wisely understood that, that this was a new day and that people were, were considered God's people, not because they were circumcised, but because they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Everybody gets that? And if, I'm going to just say this to you. It's really important that you understand that. This is a constant theme in all of Paul's letters. And oftentimes you'll read the letters and Paul will be talking about enemies and you'll say, well, what is he talking about? Well, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about people who are enemies of the cross, enemies of the work of Christ. How many know today that your legalism, your good works are not what gets you into heaven? Everybody knows that? That's right. What gets you into heaven is that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul is, is, uh, actually addresses that issue in the book of Philippians, and whenever it occurs, I'm going to point it out to you. But uh, know this, that as Paul was teaching that salvation comes to us through putting our faith in Christ, it was, it was certainly, certainly uh, something that he wanted every Christian to understand. Unfortunately, the Galatians were, were, were not getting it. They weren't understanding it. And Paul writes a whole letter to the Galatians saying, who on earth has bewitched you, you foolish people? You don't need to be circumcised. You only need to put your faith in Christ. So it's a constant theme. Well, after, after this was settled, Paul says to Barnabas, let's go on another missionary journey. They've done one missionary journey already. Now they want to do another. So here's Jerusalem. I don't know if you can see that in the bottom uh, corner of, of the screen. This is the Mediterranean Sea. And, and so Paul is up here in Antioch, and he says to Barnabas, Let's go on a missions trip. Well, they have a, a falling out. And how many know that sometimes Christians disagree? Everybody knows that? Sometimes we don't get along. The good news is that, that they're all going to heaven. They patched it up and everything's okay. Just want you to know that. So, so Paul, rather than going with Barnabas, uh, he goes with Silas. And Barnabas goes with John Mark. And so here's Paul. He's visited a few places, Tarsus, Derby, Iconium, Lystra, Antioch. And he makes it all the way over to Troas. Well, then you see 
Greece there, and then over the, you see the bottom of the boot, that's Italy. Paul gets as far as Troas, but here's the thing. He, his idea is that he's going to stay in Asia Minor. He wants to stay in Galatia and Cilicia, and he, that's where he wants to preach. But while he is in Troas, he has a dream. And he dreams that a man from Macedonia is calling him, saying, come and help us. So we're told in Acts chapter 16, verse 10, and of course, this is written by Luke. Uh, He says, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia. Macedonia, by the way, is the northern part of Greece. There's Thessaloniki up there, Berea, Philippi, Neapolis, Thamothrace, all the places that I have been to. Uh, Jesse, our son, was born in Thessaloniki. So this is in Macedonia. And, Paul, and, and Luke reports that, that the conclusion is that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so last week, we talked about the conversion of Lydia. Remember that? She was the first convert in Europe. And uh, the first convert in Europe was a woman, Lydia, a, a godly woman. Well, here it is. It's about 50 AD, and Paul and Silas come to Philippi. While they were going to the place of prayer, there was a girl that was possessed by an evil spirit. She had the ability to to do fortune telling. And she followed them every day saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And it 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 was not in a spiritual godly way, a holy way, but it was almost like a mocking. And Paul, every day he's hearing this. So Paul suddenly has had enough of this. He doesn't want any more of it. And he commands the demon to leave the girl. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16. Well, the slave girl's owners are absolutely furious about this because this girl was bringing them uh, a great fortune. I mean, everybody wants their fortune told. And so this girl was providing a great income for these men. And so these, these uh, owners of the slave girl who's demon-possessed, they, they arouse the city and they stir up the city against the apostle Paul and Silas. And we're presuming that probably Timothy and Luke were with them at that time. And, uh, and so... Paul and Silas were accused of disturbing the city, and they were thrown into jail. Now, this uh, apparently is the jail, and uh, this is still there to this day. I've visited this place many times, and uh, interestingly, there's not a whole lot behind that steel gate, but uh, this is what they say was the Apostle Paul's prison. Well, what you need to know is that here's Paul throwing, Paul and Silas, both of them are, are citizens of the Roman Empire, and they're put in irons, their feet, they're, they can't move, they can't go anywhere. And I'm telling you, it was an illegal act, highly illegal, to put Roman citizens in, in prison without first giving them a trial. Well, the Apostle Paul, being the typical Apostle Paul, he says to Silas, let's sing a few songs, shall we? And so there they are in prison doing the work of God. You'd think that maybe what they'd be doing is cursing the jailer, cursing these people, being angry. Uh, how many of us are like that? We, we, when things don't go our way, man, we're, we're mad. We we're just, just want to curse everybody who's interrupting our, our line of work and what we're trying to do. Not Paul. Paul says to Silas, let's sing. 
So there they are singing and rejoicing and praying. And of course, everybody that's in jail with them, they are forced to listen. <laughs> Truly a captive audience. And uh, Paul and Silas are, are rejoicing, praying and singing hymns. And then suddenly, and some of you will remember the story, there's an earthquake. And everybody who was in stocks and the irons around their leg, they were, they, were, they, were, they were shook off, they were set free, the prison doors are all open. And the Bible tells us in verse 27 of Luke 16 that the jailer found the doors open and immediately drew his sword ready to kill himself, thinking that all the prisoners had fled and that he would be punished and held responsible for that. But Paul yells out to him, don't touch yourself. Everybody's still here. Don't worry. Everything's fine. And then I love, I love what we read in verse 30. Immediately, the jailer says to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? <laughs> I love that. So at one minute, he's ready to kill himself. And then the next minute, he's asking, how can I be saved? Well, Paul's answer was simple. And it's an answer that all of us shall know off by heart. How can I be saved? Well, easy. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That, this is the gospel, right? That's why Paul and Silas were there. This is the gospel message. And so the jailer uh, took Paul and Silas to his home where he fed them and bandaged their wounds. And it says in verses 32 to, 35, to 34 that he and his household believed and were baptized that same night. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's one of the, my favorite stories in the whole Bible. So, folks, next time things don't go your way, ask the Lord, Lord, what, what do you want to do through this? Begin to sing hymns and rejoice rather than whine and complain. And everybody said amen, amen to that. Right on. Okay, so, so here's what I want you to know. As Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, it's this jailer and his family that the Apostle Paul has in mind. It's Lydia and her household that he's got in mind, and a number of others whom we'll hear about as the days go by. These are the people Paul's thinking about as he writes this letter. He writes this letter with a tremendous joy in his heart. He loves these people because these people, not only are they receptive to Paul's message, but they are actually helping the Apostle Paul so that he can get the gospel message out there. It's actually a very beautiful picture. So last week, we looked at part one of his prayer for the Philippians. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at part two of his letter for the Philippians. And he says, I pray, this is Philippians chapter one, verses nine to 11. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. That is the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. What I want to do, first of all, is I want us to look at that first verse, and I want you to see something. When the Apostle Paul prays for the Philippians, it's not one of those generic prayers that, that we so often pray. Everybody listen to this. Because Paul's teaching us here how to pray. It's very specific. What do we normally pray for people? Oh, God, be upon them and, and, and bless them. And, and bless them and, and bless them. 
and be with them. Folks, you're not praying. What you're doing is you're just, you're just proclaiming truths <laughs> because the Bible promises that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. So you don't need to pray that God will be with the Philippians because God will never leave or forsake the Philippians, right? Does everybody get this? So I don't want to offend anybody here today, but what we need to learn is we need to learn how to pray specifically for God's people. So let's drop the generic prayer. God bless them and be with them. Because these are things that God does anyway. You don't need to pray that because God is doing that. Everybody gets that. Look how Paul prays very, very, very specifically. And by the way, on Tuesday night when you come to prayer, I would recommend that maybe you follow maybe some of Paul's example here as to how to pray. He says, here's what I'm praying for you. I'm praying, first of all, that your love will overflow more and more. Okay, you seeing that? So that's, that is not something that happens automatically. This is something that we have got to respond to God in. We, this is something that we must do. We must do this in obedience. So Paul's praying that their love will overflow more and more. He prays that they'll keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. He prays that, that they will have uh, the ability to understand what really matters. He's praying so that they will live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. He prays that they will always be filled with the fruit of their salvation, that they will have the righteous character produced in their lives by Jesus Christ. And he says, and I'm praying for this, uh, that this will all bring much glory and praise to God. Now, you see the specifics of this prayer. It's very important that we learn from the Apostle Paul how to pray for our children. Hey, parents, when you're praying for your kids, your children, this is what you should pray. When you pray for your spouse, you pray for your friends, your brothers and sisters in the ministry, perhaps. Those of us who are leaders and pastors, this is the way we should be praying for, for the people of our church. And by the way, this is how I pray for, for you when I'm praying for the people of Cross Church. I'm praying very specifically because I already know God is with you. He's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. And I know that God is, God is and wants to pour out his blessing on your life. But these are things that you need to cooperate with God on. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip to the end of, the, of this passage, at the end of this prayer. And I want you to see what it says there in uh, verse 11, that all of this will bring much glory and praise to God. Paul's saying, I'm praying these things for you, and I'm, this is what my prayer is, this is what my hope is, is that as you respond to these items that I'm praying about, that ultimately it will cause you to bring glory to God. How many understand that that's exactly what life's about? Is that right? Rick Warren wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life, I'm going to, and there's, I think, five purposes or six purposes, I'm not exactly sure, but I'm going to tell you what the purpose is. The, the purpose of your life is to bring glory and praise to God. Back in 1643, uh, the Parliament of England called on the, on the, the wise and learned uh, teachers and preachers of the Anglican Church men who are learned, godly, and judicious ministers to meet at Westminster Abbey in order to provide advice on issues of worship and of doctrine, of government, 
and discipline of the Church of England. And so after working on it for five years, these, these Anglican ministers came up with what's called the Westminster Confession. And it begins with these words, the chief end of man or the purpose of every human is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul is praying. He's praying that for the Philippians, that they would bring glory to God. Well, these Westminster uh, ministers, they're, they're declaring it. In fact, that's the purpose of life. If you are a Christian today, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God wants you to bring glory to God. Get it? Got it? This is what you live for, so that when people look at your life, when people listen to the words coming out of your mouth, when people observe the way you live, it will cause people to praise God. Isn't that what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5.13. Live your life in such a way as that it causes people to praise God. Hey, can I just tell you something? As we, uh, as we look around the room, we see these decorations. We are raising funds so that we can help the children of Burundi, the vulnerable children of Burundi. And we're raising funds so that we can help advance the kingdom of God through the cross church uh, Burundi. These people in Burundi praise God because of the faithfulness of the people of cross church Winnipeg. This is, this is, what, this is what it's about, folks. We're, we, are, we are agents of God that bring glory to God. This is what we live for. This is what we exist for. You know that uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, has anybody ever heard of him? The great rocker. (laughs) Some of the most amazing music of all time. Some would argue that he was the the greatest composer of all time. Every time he wrote a piece of music, do you know what he wrote at the bottom? Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God only. Isn't that fantastic? Every time he wrote this beautiful piece of music. How many have heard the song, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore? That's him. And at the bottom, you'll find a notation, Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God only. What is he saying? Don't glorify me. God's the one who gave me this ability to write this gorgeous music for his glory and honor. So give him the glory. I don't want any of that. Isn't that beautiful? That's how you and I are called to live. But you know, we're living in a day and an age when, when there, I've never known a day and an age when we have been more concerned with bringing glory to ourselves. We want to make a reputation for ourselves. I remember when, in, uh, when I finished at my first church uh, and I had a choice of either going to Calgary or going to Carberry, Manitoba. Uh, you've heard me, some of you have heard me share this. And I said, God, what do you want me to do? And so God very clearly told me that I'm to go to Carberry, Manitoba. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I just, just through praying and, and looking for the leading of God, that's where I ended up. And so I had one pastor say to me, Alan, are you crazy? What were you thinking? If you go to Carberry, you'll never make a name for yourself. You could have pushed me over the feather. I couldn't believe that this man who'd been in the ministry for so many years was more concerned that I make a name for myself 
rather than doing the will of God. But you see, if you understand that your purpose in life is to bring glory to God, then it doesn't matter. Your name and your reputation is not the first thing that matters. What matters is that God is being glorified through your life. And here's one of the wonderful uh, outcomes of me going to Garberry. That's when I first started dating Gloria. That's how Gloria and I got connected. But at the time, I had no idea that that's what God had up his sleeve. <laughs> Just like the Apostle Paul going to prison, he had no idea what God had up his sleeve. How many know today that God has all kinds of wonderful things up his sleeve? You have to trust him and understand that your life is to be lived for the glory of God. Now, how do we or how can we glorify God? Well, let's go back now and look at all the things that are on Paul's prayer agenda, things that Paul is specifically praying for. Let's look at, uh, at verse, uh, verse 9. He says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. Let's stop there. I pray that your love will overflow more and more. He's saying that he prays for this for what? Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God. I want your love to overflow so that what? So that God will be glorified. As your love overflows, God is glorified in your life. Now, let me just remind everybody this morning that the whole Old Testament is, can be summed up with those two great commandments. The first the, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. This sums up the whole scripture. If you want to know the mind and the will of God, it's to love God with your whole being and to love others. So as you love others, as you love God, it brings glory to God. Now, that, the word there, uh, overflow, Perisevi uh, means superabounding, so it's not just overflowing. It's it's like a supernatural abounding. It is beyond anything that you can can believe. It's supernatural. Can I just tell you this today? There are some people who are very easy to love. How many know that? And there's some people. Need, need I say more? And yet, these are the ones that we are called to love with a supernatural, superabounding love. So what does that look like? Well, first, to, to have that overflowing love means that you have a faithful, loving relationship with God. That means that you are talking to him every day, that he's talking to you. How does God talk to us? Through his word, right? And how do we talk to God? Through prayer. This is what Paul's talking about, that your love for God will, will be such that you are talking to God all the time. I'm talking to God all the time. Constantly. I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm talking to God. I'm driving, I'm talking to God. It's, it's, what, it's what you do when you are in relationship with God. But then there's also what we call the horizontal relationship, the, the vertical love for God. There's, there, there's the horizontal relationship. And by the way, can I just say this? First John tells us 
very plainly, very clearly, that you're, the proof that you love God is that you love people. So don't tell me how much you love God while you're telling me how much you hate your mother, your father, your brother, your neighbor. You can't do that. It's not possible. This means that we even have to love uh, Justin Trudeau. No, 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 no. We have to love him and we have to pray for him, right? We had a really funny conversation about this on the weekend. But folks, this is what it means to be a Christian. And so true, true love, a true overflowing of love produces in us a faithful relationship with God, but also it produces in us a, a unity in the body of Christ. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of churches that have really, really suffered through this, through this COVID pandemic. There's been all kinds of splits and all kinds of splinters, and people are angry at each other because they've got different political points of view. And we have made a decision here that rather than focusing on these issues, we're going to focus on Jesus. Amen. And God has kept us as one. Well, for the most part, there's a few who got angry and didn't want to, didn't agree with, with our approach, and they have gone. But I'm going to tell you this, that a true follower of Jesus Christ brings glory to God by living a life that overflows with love. That's what it means to be a Christian. And of course, it means caring for the needs of others. And this, again, is why we are having a banquet on Saturday, so that we can meet the needs in Burundi. This is love that's overflowing. It overflows to the point that we, we go above and beyond. We try to go above and beyond the call of duty to produce in our church a great love for the folks of Burundi. Well, the next phrase, I'm to keep going here. Paul says, and the other thing I'm praying for is that you keep on growing in knowledge and in understanding. And if you read that phrase in Greek, it means that you would be realizing and sensing and judging what really matters. What is the biggest issue facing the church today? I Googled that, asked, I punched into Google, what's the biggest issue facing the church today? And it's amazing, the, the responses. So one person said, as Pat Robertson, the greatest problem facing the church today is unity. And then I clicked on another one. The biggest issue facing the church today is a lack of vision. And then clicked on another one. The lack, of, the lack of mission was the greatest problem facing the church. A, a lack of strategy is the biggest problem facing the church. And, and it goes on and on. Lack of alignment, the greatest problem facing the church. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Philippians 3, verses 8 to 9. He goes, yes, everything else in my life is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this, for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. When you ask R.C. Sproul, what is the greatest problem facing the church today? He answers rightly. And by the way, that was, the, that was my answer to that question. I just thought you'd like to know that. R.C. Sproul says, I think the biggest problem we face in the church today is a very very serious failure to understand the person and the work of Jesus. Christology, that is the knowledge of Christ, has been the single most important thing throughout the ages. That is the problem, folks, is that we don't know Christ, we don't love Christ, we don't glory in Christ, 
We don't present Christ. We don't preach Christ. Folks, this is what it means to preach the gospel. We're preaching Christ and his work on the cross. That's the biggest problem facing the church today. It's not all these social justice issues. It's not unity. Because when each of us is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, it produces unity. It produces in us the fruit of righteousness or the fruit of our salvation, which we'll talk about in just a moment. And so, folks, we understand that Paul is saying here is that we'll keep growing in the knowledge and the understanding of who Jesus is and what he did for us at the cross. That's who we are. That's what we're about. And why is that important? Why is it important to know Jesus? Well, very plainly, as it says in Hebrews, Hebrews 1.3, the Son, that is Jesus Christ, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you want to know God, you look to Jesus and you'll know who God is. You'll know what he looks like. Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. That's what you and I need to keep growing in, a knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to know him. How do you get to know Jesus better? There's only one way. You have to be in the word of God. You have to be in the word of God. You have to be reading the word of God in order to know God. And then Paul says, and the other thing I'm praying for you, and by the way, keep on growing in knowledge and understanding, soli deo gloria, for the glory of God. And then he says, uh, in, in, our, in the next verse, verse 10, he says, for I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives. In your Bible, it may say prove things that are excellent. In the Greek, it simply means to test the things that are of consequence, the things that really matter. How many know that there are churches all over the place that are preaching things that are of no consequence? And Paul is praying for the Philippians that they will have an understanding of the things that really matter, that the things that are of consequence, the things that are the game changer, the deal breaker. That's what we need to know. That's what we need to proclaim. And by the way, the things that really matter is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the cross. It's the gospel. You say, Pastor Allen, it's all you ever talk about is the gospel. Well, I'll tell you why. Because the minute you get your eyes off of Jesus Christ, the minute you get your eyes off the cross, off the gospel message, here's what happens. Is that you start going off on crazy rabbit trails. I told you this before. I sat down recently. And I just, I, honestly, I just sat down. I didn't Google it. I just started thinking back to my first days in the ministry. And I, start, I started writing down all of the crazy heresies, and fads that went through the church. And I made a list of 40 things, 40 different things that I have protected this church from. We've kept our eyes on Jesus. I can't say that we've been perfect at it, but we've done a pretty good job with God's help. It's very easy, folks, to stop preaching the gospel when we get our eyes off of Jesus. So Paul's saying, I'm praying that you will have the understanding of what really matters. What is, what is it that is of great consequence? And of course, we know that it is the gospel. 
that really matters. That it's the gospel that is the only thing of any consequence. Why do I say that? Well, it's the Apostle Paul who said that, Romans 1.16. What does he say? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the, first, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. That's why we preach the gospel here. That's the thing of consequence. This is the thing that teaches us how to have relationship with God, how to be made right with God. So I know some of you are sitting here and saying, Pastor John, can, I still, I'm not 100% sure what the gospel is. And if somebody came to you and said, all right, I want to test you. What is the gospel? What would you say? Well, here it is. I'm going to tell you in a nutshell what the gospel is. Number one, I'm a sinner. I'm prone to wander away from God, and I'm prone to selfishness. So before, how many know that before you give the bad news, the good news, you have to give the bad news? It's like when you go to the doctor, he'll tell you the bad news, and then he'll say, but the good news is we can cut that thing out. We can cut that thing off. <laughs> so the, the bad news is that you're sinners. Every one of us is unrighteous. We're all sinners. Say with me, I am a sinner. You dirty sinners, you. <laughs> well, the fact is we're all sinners, aren't we? We're all, this is our problem. This is why we have problems in marriage, in our family, at, in our job, at our work, in our own personal lives, with our health. It's because we are we're undisciplined, self-centered creatures. So that's, that's the first thing you need to know when we talk about the gospel. The second thing you need to understand is that you were born an enemy of God. Did you know that? Those beautiful little babies that we dedicate, that little baby looking back at me is an enemy of God. <laughs> Yikes. So we're born enemies of God, and the fact of the matter is, folks, is that we are facing an eternal separation from God. We, we have a God who gave the death penalty for sin. We read about that in in Genesis, don't we? Genesis chapter 2. If you eat the fruit, you will die. So that's what we all need to know. We're sinners, and we're facing the death penalty. But here's where it gets good. Point number three. But God. <laughs> but God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Hallelujah. Jesus, the good news, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus took upon himself the penalty that was for us. And then the fourth thing you need to know is that by God's grace, by God's enabling, how many know that God's grace can also mean his enabling, his empowering? By God's grace, when I put my faith in Christ, just the way that the jailer did. Remember that? The jailer put his faith in Jesus. He didn't read, he hadn't read any textbooks, no theology lectures. He, hadn't, he knew nothing. He said, Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, simple, put your faith in Jesus. The Jesus that we've been singing about for the last number of hours. Put your faith in him. And it says that he was saved and he was baptized that very night. That's all you have to do, folks. Put your faith in Jesus. And folks, the wonderful news is, is that you will be justified. That is, you'll be made right with God right on the spot. That's the gospel. The fifth thing you need to know is that Jesus gives me the Holy Spirit who begins making me holy. We call that 
the work of sanctification. The minute you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into you and begins to work on you and begins to shape you and mold you and make you into the very image of Jesus. Somebody say hallelujah to that. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And then we, we after we've received the Holy Spirit, after we've become Christians, not only do we have a new life, but we begin to live an abundant life, right? Jesus said, I've, I've come to that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly, and not just abundant life, but eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel. And then finally, you are put into a family. You have a brand new family. Now, some of you are thinking, man, I'm so glad to hear about that. I've been, I've been wanting to get rid of my family for years. <laughs> I finally got a new one. <laughs> Woohoo! That's the gospel, the good news. You're part of a family. I'm your brother and you're my brother or sister, and we're family, and we work together, and we love each other, and we don't let, we don't let anything come between us. Amen? Amen? We don't let doctrinal issues separate us. We don't let opinions separate us. We don't let political ideas separate us. We love each other, and we're devoted to one another no matter what. And that's what Paul found about the Philippians. That's why he loved them so much. That's why he had such great joy in these people because they loved him so much and they weren't gonna let him down no matter what. He loved these people. So he says, I'm praying that you'll understand what really matters. You'll understand the gospel. Why? Well, for the glory of God, soli deo gloria. Say it with me, soli deo gloria, or SDG for short. (laughs) For the glory of God. And then Paul says, I'm praying, I'm praying this so that you'll live a pure and blameless life. Now, this is something that I'll tell you is, is, uh, is so salient for this hour that we live in. A day and an age when, when the church is being bombarded by, by false teaching, by false philosophies, by philosophies that set themselves up against God, but worse than that even, by things like uh, pornography. So how do we live pure and blameless lives? Well, Paul's telling us how we can live pure and blameless lives. And by the way, in Paul's day, they were facing exactly the same things that we're facing today. The only thing is they didn't have internet. When we were visiting Pompeii, one of the places that, that the, the tour guide wanted to take, uh, take us to is through the brothel, where on the walls were pictures of people performing different sex acts. Well, we had our kids with us, and I said, no, we're not going through. And the, 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 the tour director's like, what? You, you want to go through this? Like, well, that's weird. Like, no, it's not weird. I want my kids to look at that stuff. But this is the world we live in. So how are we going to live pure and blameless lives for the glory of God? How do we do this? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because when you understand the gospel and the way that the Holy Spirit works in you, then you begin to understand that the Holy Spirit is enabling you to live a pure and blameless life. You can't do it on your own. Say it with me. I can't do it on my own. One more time. I can't do it on my own. That's why God has given you the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The power of God has come to dwell in you so that you can live a pure and blameless life. Folks, listen to me. You, too many churches 
preach this. Don't do this. Don't do that. And you must not do that. And if you're going to be really holy, you have to stop and stop, stop doing, stop, stop, stop. And the fact is, is everybody's saying, that's exactly what we want to do, but we can't. You can't. You can't live a pure and blameless life without the power of God at work in your life. The gospel is this. The good news is this, is that Jesus is here working in you and through you. And so, folks, rather than working on your bad habits, I want you to ignore your bad habits and start focusing on the good habits. Because if you focus on the good habits, it replaces the bad ones. It erases the bad habits. Does anybody remember the days of cassette tape recorders? So how do you get rid of the, the old stuff on the tape? You just tape over it. You don't erase it. I don't know how you erase it, but I know that you can tape over it, and it's gone. This is what you're doing. You're focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in relationship with Jesus Christ. And in relationship to Jesus Christ, you're killing the bad habits and replacing them with new godly habits. This is, this is what Paul says. Now, for some of you here today, this is a big issue for you right now because it's something you've been struggling with. How do I live a pure and blameless life? I would counsel you to go and read 2 Peter chapter 1 after the service. 2 Peter chapter 1. I just want to read two verses from that passage. Peter says, by God's divine power, he has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible tells you. Giving you God's giving you everything you need to live a godly life. You read 2 Peter chapter 1. We have received all of this by coming to know Jesus. That's, that, my friends, is the answer. That's the secret to living a pure and godless life, is that you need to know God. You need to understand what really matters. You need to know Jesus. Jesus Christ is the power of God. So you need to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desire. Somebody say hallelujah there. Here's the gospel. That's what enables you to live that pure and blameless life solely Deo Gloria, for the glory of God. And then he concludes the prayer like this. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. That is the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. So what's Jesus, what, what are we learning here? Jesus, is, Jesus tells his disciples there's only one way that they can produce fruit, and that's by abiding in Christ. If you never read your Bible, and if you never take time to pray, if you never take time to acknowledge the presence of God in your life, you will not produce the fruit that Jesus is talking about. And Jesus says, every branch that does not bear fruit will be cut off and thrown into the fire. So, what's our part in all of this? Well, we need to have a daily time of prayer and Bible reading. That's why we teach habit number one, a daily walk with God. <laughs> Could you imagine if Laura and I went on vacation and 
I never talked to her the whole time we were on vacation. When we would get back and somebody asked her, did you have a good vacation? What do you think she would say? We went to, we went ate at restaurants. It didn't get below 14 degrees Celsius. There's no snow on the ground. Warm. The fact that we didn't talk would make her, her vacation misery. The only way that you can have a relationship with God, the only way that you can produce in your life the fruit of your salvation is through Jesus Christ. You have to be in relationship with him. You have to be talking to him. He's got to be talking to you. And the next thing that needs to happen is that you need to be partaking in worship and giving thanks to the Lamb of God. You know that that's what worship is all about? Worship is all about acknowledging what Jesus Christ has done for you. You do that every day, my friends, and you'll have a very close walk with God, and you will begin to see in your life the fruit of your salvation. And the next thing you need to do is take communion. We were supposed to take communion last week. We'll do it again in just a few weeks. Why, do, why does taking communion matter? Because every time you take communion, you remember what Jesus Christ did for you. This is life-changing. It's a reminder that Jesus Christ has washed away your sins. And that even though you sin and fall short of the glory of God, God does not reject you. Did you hear that? Because some people think, man, the minute I fail, I'm back on probation again. No, 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 no. When you are converted, when you're born again, you are released from prison as though you'd never sinned. There's no probation. God forgives you your sin as you continue to grow. And then, of course, the fourth thing that you have to do is you need to be in Christian fellowship. You become like the people you hang out with, right? Yeah. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do you know, if COVID has done anything, it has given people an excuse to avoid Christian fellowship. Well, I'll just stay home in my pajamas, drink coffee, and watch the service. Well, there's times when that happens. But folks, it's time for us to get back to church, back into fellowship, because, because it is here amongst the family of God that we realize that we belong to a family that will last for eternity. It's here that we remember that we belong to Christ. Well, that's our part. What's God's part? God's part's very simple. It's all by his grace. And by that, I mean by the power of Almighty God at work in your life. Folks, this is what you're gonna do every day. You're gonna pray, God, give me the grace. Give me the grace and the enabling to produce this righteous character, to produce this fruit of my salvation. And guess what? God will do it. You do your part and then watch what God will do for you. This is the power of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation, for eternal life. Let's pray together. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you today, oh God, that our lives have been set apart for you to bring glory to your name. But the other part of that Westminster Confession is to glorify you and enjoy you forever. God, help us to understand today that every day 
we must also enjoy you. We must enjoy fellowship with you. And as we enjoy fellowship with you, God, it produces the fruit of our salvation. It produces in us a godly Christ-like character. Father, be glorified in your people today, I pray. And Father, may each of us, may each of us understand there is no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Help us to see today, Lord, even when we sin, we need to run to you, run back to you without delay and, and just nurture that relationship with Almighty God. Thank you today, Lord, for your power at work in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Yeah. Tell the person beside you, soli Deo Gloria.